Head brewer and owner of Crafty Bastard Brewery. One of the best around, man. It was good to get to know him. I've been enjoying his beer for a long time. And I've always been curious about the story of Crafty and how it all came together. And it's a good one. And it was a good historical lesson on the Knoxville craft beer scene, too. Well, I hope you guys enjoy our chat. Here it is, uh, Six Pack with Zach and Aaron McLean. We're doing the pop cast. Yeah, for sure. Are we like doing stuff? You want? <laughs> yeah, man. You want to? <laughs> yeah. Is just, that okay? just let me know what you're doing. And the, the other question I have is, is, are we just talking about those or are we drinking? You're drinking those. If you want, I brought beer to drink. All right. Hell yeah. The original, Aaron, you may not know, the original episode of me being on this podcast is was called The Six Pack with Zach. And I brought, <laughs> I literally brought a Lowe's bucket with 12 beers in it. Six for me and six for Ben. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and I've come back a few times. I don't show up to this podcast without bringing beer with me. Yeah, local ones always, too. Always, for sure. So Crafty Bastard was in on, like, kind of the – wasn't the first uh, craft brewery that started the the groundswell of breweries that started popping up in Knoxville. But it was – Early on, right? It was, it was the first. Um, was it so, really? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, so um, we, I, I mean, that depends on how <laughs> how you want to look at it. So um, when we opened, <laughs> there was um, there was Smoky Mountain Brewery. There was yeah. Downtown Grilling Brewery. There's been various iterations of Black Horse over the years. Um, there was Cold Fusion, uh, now defunct. There was... Uh, what about Marble City? And- Marble City, then Sawworks, now defunct. Yeah. Um, and Fanatic. Okay. Um, and the only thing about Fanatic is they didn't have a tap room um, and stuff like that. So I, I, to me, uh, and I think if you ask a lot of people around town, the the 1A and 1B, the, you know, however you want to talk about, like the OG of the real, real new craft beer wave um, started in August of 2019. And Alliance and Crafty Bastard opened within five days of each other. Okay. So that's, I mean, I, I really think um, as far as like the, the, the pillar, um, the, the flag on the south side of the river and the flag on the north side of the river that really started this whole new new boom was, was Crafty Bastard Alliance. I'll buy it. Zach, I mean, you are the historian ar- around <laughs> here and you've been, it's such a, uh, you've been to Switzerland. Switzerland, like say, right? Yeah, yeah. Like everybody's <laughs> just sure. kind of everybody's buddy in, in the craft beer world. And I think you would agree uh, that Aaron kind of came on the scene pretty hot and started making some really good beer after I felt like the community had been underserved with good craft beer for a long time, well, for seemingly no reason. And, and I'll, I got to tell you a wild story about how Aaron and I met <laughs> and the influence and the impact that it had on Knox Brew Tours. Um, that's, a, that's a wild story that also involves Charles Ellis, too. Ooh. So I'll, I'll get the to- The other bucket bearer of yeah. South and Scrappy. So I'll get to that, uh, to that in a second, but- um, the way I the way I look at it in my brain, uh, and Aaron and I have not talked about this at length, but I kind of see what I call I'm going to call it the four waves okay. of Knoxville beer. Okay, 
And I think Crafty and Alliance were the first of the second wave. Gotcha. And we are we are now, I think, towards the tail end of the fourth wave. Okay. And this is all just made up in my brain. Okay. So uh, the first wave is what I'm going to call uh, breweries that were uh, that that mostly sold food. Hmm. So in downtown the, grill, if you Calhoun. look at from 1980 to basically Crafty and Alliance opening up, there was a lot of breweries that uh, I think didn't quite see the vision of a small tap room, a small community-based brewery, and they needed to either sell a lot of beer or they needed to sell a lot of food. Hmm. And the examples of that, obviously, being Downtown Grown Brewery, Smoky Mountain, Black Horse. I mean, those were the three breweries of the main, the main three breweries of, of the first wave. And they, what they all had in common was they were full-blown restaurants. Yep. Sawworks, I think, sort of is the end of the first wave and proved to people that there was there could be a space dedicated to beer only. Mm. But even then, Sawworks was per, was per, predominantly focused on distribution and production. Mm. Yeah, it's a thirty barrel system that was open three or four days a week. Yeah, yeah. So that to me, uh, Aaron, downtown Grand Brewery to Sawworks is the first wave, mm-hmm. and the second wave, uh, which was what I call home brewers gone pro. Oh. That's what I'm going to call the second wave, yeah. and then the birth of 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 a brewery as the community center hmm. was Crafty Alliance, followed quickly by Last Days, Balter, and Schultzbrow. Fanatic too, Is that yeah. Right? Fanatic was in there as a production. They were F- Fanatic open. A- Fanatic actually opened their doors in what well, not opened their their brewery in 2013. Is that before uh, you so were we, right yeah, around? Yeah, we here. opened in 2015. Okay. Um, but they did not have a tap room until 2020. Way, or, way, way later. Yeah. yeah. And so it was production only. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, n- no offense to Fanatic or anything, but I mean, you know, three or four styles and that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and so like as far as a place that was like a community center that had different art on the walls that had that had music that did weekly new beer releases like that that true true craft brewery um i i would say the yeah the the first two are 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 crafting alliance yeah and 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 then and and this is more about like major shifts in the beer industry and culturally i think then pretentious was sort of the the tail end of of the second wave and then we had sort of now we started to see that breweries could be successful and we started to see people really invest in creating mm. larger breweries. And and then that's when the third wave started. And I would describe the third wave as abridged, print shop, um, what other breweries? Uh, Elst, Hexagon. Zool. The only thing I would say is Hexagon, print shop, abridged. All those are home brewers gone bro. They are. True. They are. Yeah. Mm. yeah no, I, no, I, they... I've, I've had home brewed beer from all, all of those places before they ever opened. That's true. Uh, and then what I consider to be the the fourth wave is the beginning of 2020. So that's when you've started to get your uh, your orange hat, your next level, your Zool. Um, and now, you know, we're seeing Yeehaw move into the to the market, Ebony and Ivory. Um, yeah. And, and and I can we can break down how, how what defines each of those and how they change. But that that's kind of how I break it down in my head. Knoxville beer. It seems like it got shinier. <laughs> it got more diverse. Yeah. That's for sure. I mean, every that's one of the things I love so much about the brewing community. People, uh, sometimes you'll hear this, oh, do we need a, like, can we sustain another brewery? Right, right. right. But they don't ever say, like, uh, 
what they're doing is they're comparing breweries like they compare pizza restaurants, right? Domino's, Papa John's, Pizza Hut. They're like, oh, do we need another pizza restaurant? What they really should be doing is thinking of it more like Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell. I mean, Crafty Bastard Brewery and Balter Beer Works are, yes, they're both breweries. They could not be any more opposite businesses. Did right. different, different product, different environment, different offerings, different, I mean, they, but they're both breweries. And the thing that I love about Knoxville Beer is that is the diversity that we have of our breweries. Right. I mean, they're so they're all so different, and they're even yeah. in different environments and different yeah. places and different cultures. And yeah, so I've got a, I've got a really uh, a brief but funny story. Okay, when you mentioned Balter, um, I, I always want to say so. One of my absolute favorite movies, and I know it's like we're I think we're all roughly of the same age. Um, is Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, great movie. And uh, yeah, and so when when Red gets out of prison um, after Andy's already broken out and made down and uh, and he says, you know, promise me, you know, if you if you ever get out of this place, and he tells him about this oak yeah. tree hidden up in Buxton, Maine, and everything else. And you know, you go, and he digs up the um, digs up the box and it has money in it and everything. And he he reads this letter. And the first Zewatanejo. Zewatanejo, <laughs> yes. Um, is do you remember the name of the town? Zewatanejo. Yeah. But the first, very first line of that letter is it says, "If you've come this far, maybe you're willing to go a little further." Mm. And uh, so Balter is a place that had, I mean, I just a killer brunch, a great happy hour, um, tacos and sliders, and just, just, just a really, really great atmosphere um a, a really solid beer really interesting food and you know they left some exposed brick up and you know it was the, but it was definitely a place downtown that catered to a little bit more of like west knoxville crowd people coming to like experience the downtown area but it still had elements of downtown i mean i, I think of all of the breweries i will say this of all of the breweries in knoxville that i've seen open I mean, 20 of them now in the last seven years. The one that was on point with their business model, like knew, they knew what they were identity. knew what they were doing from the freaking beginning was Balter. I mean, like, I mean, they they were on top of it. Um, How so does that this, relate to the uh, so, Shawshank letter? And so I'm saying, so this, um, they were on top of their stuff and they were just this great amalgamation of like downtown and yeah, they also were, a little... I know where you're going. They were attracting a crowd that Crafty wasn't at that time. Correct. So they were attracting, this was like, this was like the place for like West Knoxville people who wanted to like go downtown a little bit, but they weren't, you know. It's on and the edge of downtown. It's on yeah. the edge of downtown and all this good stuff. And you know, for, for, for those listeners that have not been to Crafty, it's in an 1890s warehouse and there's dogs inside and it's, you know, it's just, it's not a place that's done up but and so like i always felt like i wanted to put in the bathroom a picture of morgan freeman red right yeah and have the crafty bastard logo on there and say if you've come this far <laughs> maybe you're willing to go a little further don't put that shit in the bathroom man put that right up front. put that above the door well and so like you, you go to say and, and and balter's also i mean Balter's done a great job i think of creating what i call gateway beers and like a gateway yes, environment yes. like if somebody's wanting to kind of dip their toes in the craft beer world, Balter's a great place to start. And, you know, the some of the classic beer styles, Aaron, that we saw at every single brewery ever that we don't see anymore, you know, your reds, your pale ales, your whatever, Balter is still crushing those. And those are great introductions to beer. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a great place to start. Now, if you want to dive in head first 
and it's 20 feet deep and you might drown, go straight to Crafty Bastard because it's yeah, going to exactly. yeah, yeah, that's, that's and, and that, that's what I'm saying is just like, like a place like Balter, even though we, we, we couldn't, ha- we were both craft breweries in Knoxville within less than a mile of each other. We couldn't have a more different business plan. And we, I mean, certainly I, perhaps we help them. I don't know. They certainly help us because yeah. again, it's, it's, it get, it draws a crowd to downtown. And I, again, like I said, if you, if you're willing to go this far, it's <laughs> come a little bit further. You can go just a little bit further. I like the gateway beers. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. And, and it does have that, like the Balter it does have that accessibility. It's almost, it's yeah. your training wheels or your, like it, nobody's going to go, you can take a, a family of 10 people in there after graduation and everybody's going to be able to find something to eat that they like and something to drink that they like. And it's just like it, accessible is the way. That and and it's it. great. And and, yeah. and and Zach and I both know uh, Will Rudemeyer. Um, we, we did a bike ride a couple of years ago where we went to uh, every single operating brewery in in Knoxville. On bike. Oh boy. On this bike. was right before Orange Hat opened. Yeah. Really? <laughs> and, and so we did this ride and Will Rudemeyer, uh, Will Rudemeyer, the head brewer of Balter, joined us on this ride. And uh, yeah, I mean, we both know him really well and like, same thing. I mean, he's proud of the beers he makes. He's an excellent brewer. Um, but he'll be the first one to tell you, yeah, we're not trying to set the world on fire. Yeah. Like we're trying yeah. to make, we're trying to make classic styles that go well. Yeah. And Will, Will's like my, you know, my job's not to make the beer I like. It's to make beer that the people who come to Balter want to drink. Sure. People you know? cast their vote with their dollar. And, and that's smart. To, to Aaron's point, I mean, God, I kind of wish we could go back, you know, six or seven years, but like it, t- it takes every, it takes any small business, I think a solid year to find their identity. And when I say find their identity, I don't just mean like necessarily who they are, but who their customers are, where they fit into the Knoxville universe and what kind of events they're going to do and how they're going to communicate to their, to their customers and their team. And once a brewery finds that it changed, I mean, they just, it, there's nothing slowing you down, but yourself at that point. It feels like a year would be a really good time to, hang it up and shut her shop if you if you couldn't figure out how to do it if things weren't going right two, no year two <laughs> yeah two yeah more like two years yeah really it's yeah. really funny ben when uh when knox brew tours was one year old i started looking up statistics on one-year-old businesses you know because i was like oh, okay like what does it mean if you make it through one year and every single thing i said was basically just like you haven't done shit like when you get yeah. to year two then you can start looking at when you t- when you talk about like small businesses, uh, sorry, small business loans like bank, you know, it, yeah. oh, most banks and things like that will not touch you until you've been open two years. Yeah, open and sh- and showing money coming in for two years. Once you made it two years, like th- there's not as much of a difference between two and seven as there is one and two. I couldn't wow. agree more with that statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. couldn't yeah. agree more. So crafty bastard, and I'm I'm gonna say this. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, Aaron. Crafty Bastard was the first Knoxville craft beer that I drank, and I was like, okay, this this holds up. Like, this holds up with the regional craft breweries that I've just recently started to enjoy. And Crafty, I was like, okay, somebody went pro. Somebody's really doing it. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I've... Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, and it couldn't have been paired better with, you know, Emory Place and a burgeoning part of town that was, yeah. that was growing and kind of pushing the envelope. You were pushing the envelope as... as a brewer and introducing people to, uh, you know, styles of beer that, that punched above their weight and kind of played with the big boys. And, uh, it was, 
it was like, it was this moment where I kind of had been bitching for a few years of like, can nobody figure this out? <laughs> like, it, it, I, I love local breweries. I want to support local breweries, but, uh, but I've not been able to find something that really holds up with, with the big boys. And that was yeah, the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Me so, I mean, so yeah, you just wanted me to kind of talk about like that kind of. How how that came to be just a little bit. I was really just complimenting you more than anything. But. <laughs> well, my, my story actually segues into that perfectly because I'm going to tell you about the first time that I drank a crafty bastard beer. Oh, that's going to tie in perfectly. And yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do the whole thing. We'll, we'll do Zach and I do this thing all the time. It's it's, it's going to be great. You'll see. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so I had had taken a I I didn't know where I was going to do with my life. This was the summer of 2014. And I decided that uh, maybe I wanted to start a brewery tour company. Yeah. So I uh, went to Asheville and took a brewery tour and just, I just felt like it just, I could do better. Like I wanted to do more and I love Knoxville, I love beer and I love people. So I'm just toying with the idea. And all I did was I bought KnoxBrewTours.com and I started an Instagram account, which was like brand new basically in 2014. Right. And I started following the breweries on social media and like promoting them in hopes that if I showed up, they would be like, oh, you're the guy that's, you know, promoting our business. I could just, whatever. You gave us a follow a couple yeah. days ago. I know yeah. you. So I was in the bathroom at Hops and Hollers and I took a picture of a, of a, a sign on the wall that said water, malts, hops, and yeast. Took a picture, posted it to Instagram and peed. And then I walked out of the bathroom and I go sit at the bar. And Charles Ellis was the bartender. Hmm. And he had control of Hops and Holler's Instagram. And he goes, did you just take a picture in the bathroom and post it on Instagram? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was embarrassed. He's like, you're Knox Brew Tours? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, have you heard of Crafty Bastard Brewery? <laughs> and I was like, no. He's like, dude, look him up. I pulled my laptop out, found him on Facebook. I think I was like the sixth or seventh like on crafty yeah. bastards facebook sent him a message and said hey i'm thinking about starting this brewery tour company i'd love to meet you guys and chat so a couple days later matt and i went over to aaron and his partner at the times home just rolled out the red carpet i mean straight up out of this basically jerry-rigged cooler refrigerator aaron poured me the first beer was the ancho chili pepper uh Ancho Oaked Amber. Ancho Oaked Amber. Yeah. Followed by the Hop Candy IPA. Yeah. And that was the first time I ever drank a craft beer in his dining room in this tiny little apartment in Fourth and Gill. That then led to, uh, do you want to go see the brewery? At the time, there was just junk everywhere. There was no electricity. We walked across over to the Emory Place, turned our flashlights on our phone, and Aaron... Uh, Laid it all out. He's like, the cooler's going there, bar's going there, fermentation's here, bathroom's there, boom. And and it was just a pile of junk in the dark. Yeah, and, and this, this is November. It's, it's, it's cold. There's no lights. There's no electricity. There's no, <laughs> we're walking into this warehouse with just piles of crap everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like laying out this. There was a room at the time, too. That, yes, that yes, front room. Yes, yeah. Uh -huh. What was your guys' vibe at the, at the time with each other? Like, were you were you looking for? Uh, were you courting him as a stop on your? No, I think your... we just had a shared passion for beer. We yeah. just loved beer, and and I, you know, I didn't want to start a tour company if there wasn't going to be breweries to tour. Sure. So that night, Aaron was like, "You know about Alliance, right?" And I was like, "What? Tell me about Alliance." And uh, I remember that night calling my dad. 
we had already, there were four breweries in Knoxville. I'd gotten loose verbal commitments from three of them. And now I had saw, seen with my own eyes, crafty bastard, in planning. I confirmed Alliance was in planning, and I called my dad and said, now's the time to go. And I started shopping for, for buses and learned how to build a website. And November 28, 2014, we ran our first guided tour to the public. It was kind of crazy. And we, we were meeting in, I think, mid-November. I mm-hmm. mean, you, you, you had a tour going two or three weeks after yeah. we met. It was wild. <laughs> yeah. And then we added Crafty Bastard to the brewery as soon as we, to the tour as soon as we could. It was probably, I want to say the fall of 2015. Fall of 2015 and the Alliance was a little bit after that. And, yeah. And, and then, then we added Balter and then we added Schultzbrow and then we, and it was just, it just blew up from there. Yeah. Now here's my, one of my fun, my favorite Knoxville trivia questions, Knoxville, Knox Brew Tourist trivia questions. Okay. The first three brewers we worked with were Black Horse, Sawworks, and Smoky Mountain Brewery. Who was the fourth? Oh, I know this one. I'm not going to say. Everyone says Crafty Bastard or Alliance, but the answer is actually Blue Tick. Ah. We used to drive out to Mirable mm-hmm. and, and do Blue Tick, yeah. Didn't you say there's like 80 tours out there? Yeah, we, we probably did more than more than 50, for yeah. sure. Well, I didn't know the bus could make it that far. Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't either. The bus did take us to... Uh, the- to Clinch River Brewing one That's day. That's true. It did, so yeah. it can it can it can it can get up and go when it has to. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, that that was the first time I met Aaron and Matt Malone. Uh, will tell you that is the first IPA he ever enjoyed. Really? Mm-hmm. Was the, yeah. Was the hop candy? Hop candy was the first. So hop candy is um, something we made from the very beginning. Uh, it was our first IPA to ever hit the taps, um, and it was uh, it was the first beer that I brewed at home. I had brewed many beers at home that that I liked, that I thought were good, that I thought were good representations of what I was going for. It was the first one that I thought was a real pro brew. It was the first one that I got people saying, like, are, are you going to do this professionally? Like kind of thing. And um, it was, yeah, I had really, really dialed that in. And yeah, Matt Malone, mm-hmm. to this day, um, will still talk about like, that was the very first IPA that he Ever so, like really is like I love this kind of thing. I, I've thought about this a hundred times, Aaron, but I've never asked a brewer this question. Ooh. So I'm going to ask you this right I'm now excited. for the first time. I'm super excited on the South Scruffy podcast. <laughs> what is there any part of you when you make this amazing beer on your homebrew setup afraid when you take the step into a larger system that you're going to be able to duplicate that beer on? When it's when you're making it 300 percent more, of like it. like is this going to scale? Yeah, is it not only is it going to scale, but how quickly am I going to be able to adapt to this to this system to to be able to to make this beer the way that I? I mean, it it's like going from you know riding a bicycle or driving a motorcycle. I mean, yeah, um, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. So first things first, I'm going to have a Huggins Hellas oh, yeah. by Albright Grove. I brought some um, local beers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Albright Grove and the stuff they're doing. Um, I had this Hellas um, while I was watching uh, some live music there a couple of weeks ago and really, really enjoyed it. So I'm um, going to dive into that. Cheers. I'm coming over. Woo! Yes. And, and Ben Ooh. right now is Ooh. drinking yeah. the uh, Rio Clara Mexican lager from Albright Grove as well. Albright Grove seems to be killing it. I think they're underrated right now. And uh, don't sleep on Albright. Albright Grove is, is located in a... I love everything that's going on on uh, 
on Sutherland Avenue. It's it is like, growing. It's kind of like an international district. There's a lot of really interesting restaurants and things going on out there. Um, so as far as their tap room goes, I think um, maybe not drawing as many as many people, some of the other places that have been longer established. But as far as the quality of the beer, um, Albright Grove is is incredibly high on my list. I um, highly recommend checking them out. Um, more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and what was the question again, sir? Oh, scared. <laughs> Are Were you, you scared? Oh, was yeah. there any part of you as a brewer that was afraid to go from a homebrew setup to yeah. a professional yeah. and, scaled system? And so, yeah, I, I can tell you to this day, and it's weird, it's the only one, I, and I don't know if it's my palate or if it's just whatever, I, I have still never had a hop candy. And we've brewed hundreds of batches of it now, as good as the one that you and Matt tried. There was at your so- house. Yes, oh. there was something <laughs> epic about those that I was just not attain. I, I don't know what it is. I will say this: it hasn't been from a lack of trying. I'm sure I've not been from <laughs> lack of trying. Now I will say this: Tessellation, uh, Knoxville Pride, uh, Big Bastard, uh, Mine Chocolate Chili Porter, House Mountain Porter. A lot of these other beers. Um, are ones that I had brewed at home. There, there are numerous recipes we we do that I had brewing at home had been brewing at home for years before we ever actually opened, and I think almost all of those have been at least have good at least as good if not improved. There's something about the freaking hot candy, <laughs> and I don't know what it is, and and it's it makes me think it's not my palate because like it would be weird like if I told you like all the ones that I had brewed at home were better. That's either Yes, I failed scaling up, or there's something about the or nostalgia. It's, it's a bias. The, yeah, of some or you're sort. full of shit. Yeah. Some <laughs> kind of something like that. But the fact that like every yeah. single one of them now, I think, is a superior beer to when I brewed it Dude, at home. Do a homebrew a hop candy and let's bottle it and do a limited edition <laughs> release. That's the only one, man. I just I don't know what it is, and I think it's it's our number one seller. It is the beer we have canned the most. It's the beer we have kegged the most, brewed the most, sold the most of, and have badass labels for it and T-shirts and everything else. Um, and I think it's great. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I just, it's just, it's just, I've never been able to recreate that, the magic of that keg, that specific keg that you, Matt, myself, and a handful of others tried. I think that is the best IPA I've ever had. And I've never been able to quite recreate that. It was so good. It convinced me to start a business. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Aaron, you've got. Do you have two locations now? Is that right? I do. I do. Yeah. Um. So or we do. Um. Yeah. So we have the the OG location, which opened in August of 2015. Um. Our beer hit the taps in October of 2015, and uh, yeah. So we celebrated seven years uh, a few months ago, and uh, in July of 2021, we opened a uh, a West location. Um. Right at the corner of Pellissippi and Kingston Pike. Yeah. Near JTV. Yep. Absolutely. Um, it was it was kind of a move for self reliance. Um, in the first six years that we had been open, uh, we had never washed a keg, ever. Um, we've washed our kegs at. Just to be clear, they their kegs get washed. They just didn't do it at Crafty Bastard <laughs> <Sorry>. downtown. <laughs> we we had never washed a keg in our own facility. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> Thank you. That is an important clarification. Um, but yeah, so we, yeah, we had never washed a keg in our own facility. We we had you know we did not have the infrastructure or the space or the funds really to put something like that in. Um, and we had been contract brewing for years, um, most notably with Hexagon. Um, we had brewed hop candy and tessellation there for four years. 
and uh, they did a great job with it. And uh, my my heart and hats <laughs> will go out to those uh, those folks forever for for helping us. Um, but at the same time, when you're when your beer is being brewed on somebody else's system and in somebody else's facility, like you're at the end of the line. That's just that's just the way it goes. Nothing against anything um, that any of those those folks ever did, but it's just like we kind of wanted to we wanted to brew our own beer. Yeah. Um, now, also just to make that clear. I mean, 90 to 95% of, especially of the styles, the new releases were being brewed in-house. It was mm. just hop candy and tessellation. Our number one and two sellers. The ones that needed bigger systems. The ones that we just could not keep up with in-house. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's and that's what we did. Um, we, we did canning runs at Hexagon. We did canning runs at Next Level. Um, both hop candy and tessellation were brewed and canned at Next Level. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, that was incredibly great. Um, and we've collaborated with those folks, um, over the years, but we, we really wanted again to be, to be self-reliant, um, to be, to making and brewing and canning our own beer and washing our own kegs and kind of being in control of our own destiny. So that whole production site is now out West. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. So, so we still brew downtown. Yeah. So there's a three barrel. So for uh, listeners at home who don't know, so a barrel, Weird, weird metric. A whiskey barrel is 53 gallons, but in brewing terms, a barrel is 31 gallons. Okay. And so our downtown brewing system is a three-barrel system, which we brewed on for six years and are still brewing on. And then the west location is a 15-barrel system. Okay. So things like Main Squeeze, Hop Candy, Knox Pride, Crispy Boy Lager, Marquita Pills, um, Tessellation Hop Candy, all those kind of things. The, the the big movers, the stuff that we can, all of that is being brewed out west. Um, and so downtown is focusing on sours, experimental brews, and also really interesting lagers. We've done a Schwarzbier. We've done a, uh, a Munich Dunkel. We've done a Doppelbach, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, I mean, downtown is the experimental proving ground, and west is the uh, is kind of the the big engine that runs yeah. the whole show. So you got the farm, the, the farm league, you got uh, yeah, uh, single gonna, A, double A, triple A yeah, over. I was going to say the, the West location is the commissary and the downtown location is the test kitchen. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. uh, is there some stuff going on outside right now uh, at the Emory place location? Uh, are you guys doing some work out there or something like that? I drove by and saw a bunch of construction or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at, um, there's a, there's a few things going on. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I don't the, mean to blow your spot, but I drove by and saw a bunch of stuff going. Yeah, for that. sure, for sure. Um, there's there's some permitting and uh, things that we're gonna we we need to work on. But um, basically, the idea is basically, and I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record of like somebody who's just blaming stuff on COVID. I'm not, but basically, ever since COVID. Um, people are just not as comfortable piling on top of each other as they used to be. Yeah. And so for the, 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 the two folks that I'm talking to and, you know, hopefully many of you who, who will be listening, um, tilt that down towards your mouth. Have yeah, That makes yeah. it easier on you. A few, um, a few of the people who will be listening, um, or most of you hopefully <laughs> have at least been into the downtown crafty bastard location at least once. And it is, as you know, it is, it is eclectic. It is fun. It is funky. It is cool. And it is very tight. Um, there's not a lot of room in that place. And 
so what we did during the winter of 2020 and the winter of 2021 is we got a tent from all occasions Reynolds. Yeah, remember that big pop-up tent kind of thing heater and, and yeah i had propane heaters it was just serious pain in the ass but we needed to do it um just so people didn't have to cram on top of each other um what we decided to do this time is instead of paying these exorbitant rental fees and having this kind of thing that's well, functional is kind of a monstrosity. Yeah. Um, wanted to build something that was um, was safer, um, more efficient, and more aesthetically pleasing. Sure. Um, and also something that would be a one-time investment to last for yeah. decades instead of paying this exorbitant rental fee. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, the idea is to have additional seating um, outside. Um, it is going to be, again, year-round seating when it rains, when it's cold. Uh, and then... A really, really interesting thing for people listening to this um, is that we're going to be able to do events, the things that Crafty does year round. So it's difficult to have a band, to have a silent disco, to have a dance party, to have a drag show, to have all the really cool things that we do at Crafty inside during the winter because it's just it's there's just such limited space. And so the idea is that we can have ticketed events and we're not going to like five bucks or something, you know, nothing exorbitant at all, but that we can have a silent disco, a drag show, a band, a comedian, you know, whatever in this outdoor structure. It's warm. It's comfortable. You're not going to get rained on year round. And then also, if I don't care about the band or the show or whatever else going on, it's just... I can just go into the brewery and have a beer and chat sure. with my friends. Yeah. And so the, both of those can exist simultaneously year round. Right. And so it's going to be a huge boon to the business. Um, it's going to be great for us. It's going to be great for Knoxville. It's going to be able to showcase a lot of interesting performers and a lot of just, just really cool stuff. And we're going to be able to do it year round. What were you doing before... I mean, when Zach was in your apartment in Fourth and Gill drinking beer, what were you doing for work and like before the before brewing before you took the leap? I was a, I was a high school math teacher. No kidding. Yep. And so that actually algebra, geometry, algebra, geometry, trig, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, I never taught like AP calculus, but like I taught seniors in high school mostly. Okay. So yeah, I, I mean, I taught like higher ish level math. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I did before that. The really interesting thing about that, and, and we could have a whole conversation about that, but I'm sure. we'll, we'll bypass that for right now. But the interesting thing about being a math teacher, because I was for several years, um, was that I had summers off. I mean, it was, it was an incredibly intense job. It's still the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but it was an incredibly intense job, but I did get summers off. And I did get spring break and winter break and all that kind of stuff. Nice gnat sound. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I spent a ton of time traveling. I went uh, uh, I went to Boston. I went to New England. Uh, I, I went all across the Western United States: Colorado, San Diego, Portland, Seattle, different parts of Man uh, Montana and and Wyoming and places like that. And the thing that struck me was like even in these tiny little towns in South Dakota. They had like cool craft breweries. Yeah. And it wasn't just, and I, although I su was super interested in it, it wasn't just the experimental beer. It was the fact that these were community centers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, these were places that people congregated and people found communion and people 
had uh, local artists um, hung their art on the wall and musicians played and things like that. And like it was, um, and with without do- delving too deep into any of this, like I'm not, uh, I'm not religious myself, but I do get the value in communion and community and all of those kinds of things. And like, these were just places that I, I saw across the, across the country that were just doing, they were just really important to the community. They were, they were, they were pillars of their community and they were a place where, um, people were just glad to be alive. And I, I wanted to bring that to Knoxville. Okay. So was it, was it, if you were going to put the percentages on it, how much when you decided to set out and, and hang up your own shingle and do build your own brewery with a tap room and the whole experience, how much of it was, I want to get my beer out to the world and how much of it was, I want to create a community center that brings people together. This is going to sound, and can, can I like, is this, can I, can I slightly curse? Sure. Yeah. Okay. This is going to sound like a, this is going to sound like a chicken shit answer. Okay. Fifty fifty. Okay. That's um, cool. And 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 the reason again that sounds chicken shit. But I thought like, you were going to say a hundred, a hundred. <laughs> shit, that's a very Zach answer. Oh my god, that's the way I should have said it. Uh, Wait, really quick. This is the you just said fifty fifty, which is percentages. Um, I asked Aaron one time, what was of all the curriculum you were forced to teach your students as a math teacher. What was the one thing that you wish every student fully grasped? And what was the one thing you feel like was a complete waste of their time? And he said, I wish every single student I taught fully and wholly understood percentages, because I think that is an area of math that has the greatest impact on your daily life. Mm -hmm. He goes, however, the thing I wish I didn't have to teach them was imaginary numbers. And I said, why is that? He goes, because they're exactly that imaginary. <laughs> That's the beauty of mathematics <laughs> is is that it makes sense. So I understand why Aaron wouldn't like the imaginary part of it. Okay, so fifty fifty is your answer. Yeah, so fifty fifty. So, no, no, no. I, I'm revising that. A hundred, hundred. Okay, How about yeah, that? Yeah. hundred, hundred. That works. Um, and yeah, it was okay. So a couple of things. I had, um, I had seen that the. The extreme intensity of the interest in um, experimental craft brewers, people who are wanting to push the envelope and do interesting stuff. Um, I, I'll tell you that there, there's two places um, that really, really, really prove this. And, I, you know, I always love giving shout outs. Um, 2010, uh, Beard and Beer Market opens mm. and is a place that doesn't necessarily specialize on experimental brews or whatever, but like does prove that that culture can exist. That's where I, I mean, that's where I got my Correct. start for love of not, of beer. Correct. The place that proved that the culture could exist was Beer and Beer Market. I'll buy the that. The place that proved that there were people hungry for something new, something fresh, something different, something... That I mean, every time I went to beer and beer market, I was on a mission. Yeah. What can I get my hands on that I have not had before? Yeah. So it did have a bit of that for sure. But I think beer and beer market proved more that the the culture was there. Mm. Mm-hmm. The place that proved that there was a thirst for weird shit was Sutry's. Mm. So Sutry's High Grab Tavern opened in May of 2013. 
a little over two years before we opened. And their business model was we're never tapping the same beer twice. Really? We are buying six doles. We are buying small kegs. And like we have 24 taps. And if you come back two days from now, nine or 10 of them will be different. If you come back two weeks from now, all 24 of them will be different. And they had a couple of like down the line stuff, but it was Belgian stuff. It was in barrel aged Imperial stouts. It was sours. It was um, over the top IPAs. It was stuff that you could not get anywhere else. Mm. Um, and that was back in a time when, when Tennessee, because of the high grav laws and a bunch of stupid shit that we had, was just not able to get that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, Matt, who who ran the place, did just an incredible job with it. And so, yeah, between those two things and traveling as much as I did, I was just like, I want to bring this experimentation back to Knoxville. I want to bring this culture back to Knoxville. And it has been proven that it can exist, but it has not been in a brewery yet. It has been beer and beer market and such. It's not a place making their own product. Gotcha. And so I was like... So there was a proof of concept for the culture, but not necessarily the craft yet. Or the the artisans making. Well, yeah, the... yeah, yeah. There was a proof of concept concept for the culture. There was a proof of concept for the craft, but just centuries just wasn't making that stuff. They were just yeah. bringing it in, right? So basically, all we had to do um, was execute the space properly and execute the beer properly. Now, much easier said than done. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, that's that was there, and that was. I mean, it really was hand in hand. I, I wanted first and foremost to create. Um, an innovative experimental nano brewery for Knoxville and just right behind it. So if I had to do the numbers, maybe 5248, um, but a community space for fourth and Gill. Yeah. At that time when we opened, it's so crazy to think about. There was not, I, mm-hmm. there are now, I lived three blocks away from where Crafty is now. I lived on 729 Morgan street. It was a two minute walk, literally 120 seconds for me to walk from my front door to Crafty when we opened seven years ago. There are now five breweries closer to my apartment. Hmm. I don't live there anymore. Wow. But six. Well, if you include Gypsy. Yes. Closer to my apartment than Crafty. crafty, (laughs) And it is a 122nd walk. (laughs) Man, they they also. So, like, and and, and so, but what I'm saying is like, that at the time when we opened, there was not, there were places in Happy Holler, there were places in the old city, but you're talking about a place to see some interesting art on the walls and hear a live band and try some tasty beers and chat with your friends and, and pet some dogs and some support community events. I mean, we've done things with Small Breed Rescue, um, with Beersley Farm, with um, refugee, um, yeah, bridge refugee services with Native Plant Rescue Squad, yeah. with all kinds of different nonprofits since day one, and so like, it's just hand to, to me in my the, what it one can't exist without the other in my mind. Yes, you could just make super interesting beer and just be that, or you could be just a community. But in my mind, the way that Crafty Bastards exists, the way a business exists in my mind that I want it to run, they're so hand in hand. So they built a uh, however many hundred resident uh, senior living <laughs> yeah, next in door. Knox High, right across the street. Yep. Do you ever see any of those people come in? Yeah, from time to time. Yeah. Yes. They are actually phasing that into being a all ages place. Yeah. I had a buddy who lived in like the fire something yeah, on the yeah, back side yeah, of it. Yeah. So they did that. He was in and, his 20s. Yeah, they did that. And they are now phasing the whole building into being, you know whatever age you want to be. <laughs> it's cool that they kind of 
they they did the the market research. They said, you know, we need uh, more folks in this age demographic living downtown. They tried it. It seems like it may not necessarily have. I don't think it was a home. I don't think it was a failure, but I don't think it was a home run. Exactly. And so, you know, merit takes takes uh, uh, its path. Yeah, yeah it's precedence yeah. and its path here. And so you're now going to have how many people living right across the street from yeah. you that you're going to be the, you know, I guess Gypsy Circus is right out their back door, yeah. but and you're Zool right out their front door. And Zool yeah. and Geezers and everything else. But like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd rather have, well, I'd rather have 20% of, of that than 0% of sure. nothing. Now, I know you, Aaron, I know you had a, a vision and a plan and a purpose and, and you wanted to make great beer and you wanted to create a great environment. But to to the point that Ben just brought up about this nursing home, like what is what is something from day one to today that you didn't predict, that you didn't see coming <laughs> that that maybe wasn't your choice, but was the choice of your your customer base? I have a very very specific example. Um, so uh, so when we opened, uh, I mean it was probably the fourth or fifth day that we were open. So this would have been in August, very early September of 2015. A guy walks in with his dog and uh, says, it seemed to be a very well-behaved dog. And uh, and he was like, can, can I bring her in? And I was, you know, I'm a softie. And, a, and you know, we had never planned necessarily on being dog-friendly. We, we hadn't planned on being, like, not dog-friendly, but it was like, you know, on the patio kind of thing. And uh, And I was like, uh, sure, it's fine. Can you have dogs inside of places yeah. that make yeah. beer and serve beer? Yeah. You um, can, if you as long do, as you don't serve food? Correct, yeah. Ah. That's, that, that's the line. Okay. And so, yeah, so I never really, like, had really, really thought about that. But, the, you know, the dog seemed well-behaved, and it was, and everything else. So, sure, come on in. And he, I guarantee you, he, like, texted all of his friends right there. Within 30 minutes, there were six dogs um, in Crafty. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I guess we're a dog bar now. And, uh, and like, I mean, that was the fourth or fifth day we've opened and we have been as far as I know, there's lots of other places that allow it to, but we've been the dog brewery like of, of, of all of them. And yeah, that is just not something that I anticipated. It's not something that I dislike. It's just, again, when you're saying like, what's something you didn't expect? What did, what, what did you not expect to like lean into and to be a part of your identity? That I mean, I, I wanted to be dog friendly. I did not expect us to be like the dog brewery, yeah, the de facto dog dog yeah. brewery. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so th- there's something about like, I don't know. I, I, I downtown Knoxville has all kinds of different pockets, but it feels like Emory Place, your location, has been plucked out of somewhere else and dropped in the middle. Yeah. Uh, How much do you want to know? I, okay, I will give you the. I will give you the pun intended abridged version um of um of the story so emory place has an incredibly interesting history i will i will again i will give it to you as quickly as i can uh 1854 market square opens okay um so that's way back in the day i mean knoxville's founded in the in the 1780s 1790s um so it's it it opens as, as as a market hall um the first building i believe is the oliver hotel okay i believe that opens in in 1876 so 22 years after market square and then the buildings everything that you see in market square starts to form around yeah. it and is ripples built, out from ri- there. ripples out and has, has been built within a few years well here comes 1882 and what um people thought about emory place was okay cool most of these farmers or many of them 
are coming from northern counties. They're coming from Union and particularly Granger County. Okay. Um, and at that time, I mean, it was horse and buggies <laughs> yeah. trying to get into downtown. And it was it was actually a difficult place to get into and out of with a bunch of crops and produce. And especially if you've got a big old cart and, you know, you've got a, a, a dual horse team and you're like trying to come in from out of town. So um, what they decided to do was try and, and start a market place there and they did so where you see emory place the main road that goes through that it kind of comes through and it has a little dog leg there that was a market house it's mm. built in 1882 and uh had had moderate to to major success i mean uh in 1890 the building that we're in so eight years later was built so where you see crafty was built in 1890 and every building you see on emory place between 1890 and 1899 was built Wow. Um, so in nine years, every bit of what you see in Emory Place was built. Um, again, there was a chewing gum factory. The original thing in Crafty was kind of like a sundry store, a pharmacy yeah. general store. Right there if on you the will. corner. Yep. A little bodega. Right. Yep. And so there was um, all kinds of things that popped up around that. Um, it had, again, had varying levels of success. And uh, around the 1910s, and especially into the 1920s, um, it starts to die. I'll give you. I'll give you one guess. Why? Why? Why in the teens, especially into the twenties, does the Emory Place Market die? Uh, let's see. Can can I have two guesses? We got a uh, 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 Spanish flu and war impending. No, uh, it has nothing to do with Spanish <laughs> floor cars. Uh, the automobile, <laughs> right? And so what is, yeah, what is the reason that it was successful in the yes. first place is that it was trying to get your horse and buggy and carts and carriages and stuff downtown and back was a whole thing. And this is only a mile away from Market Square. Mm. So it kind of, di- so as the automobile yeah. develops, yeah. Quick, just a quick thought here. Like, can you imagine being alive during the transition of going from horse and carriage to automobile? Like that, imagine the height of that transition where there's equal horses to equal automobiles and yeah. the chaos that that had to have been. How about like not being a, 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 a resistor of new technology at that point? Mm, like, yeah. I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to do that. Where'd all those horses go? <laughs> yeah. It's a very interesting thing to think because we, we tend to think that te- technology creeps at a exponential rate. Right where it goes more, but think about it. Like, what would be a what would be a bigger change? And I don't know the answer to this. If you went to bed in 1900 and woke up in 1950, or if you went to bed in 1950 and woke up in 2000, I would say it's about the same. I think it'd be wild either way. Actually, uh, actually, I will say. Uh, Electricity was already around in the 1900s, so that, no, that's I'm, not I'm, a big one. No, no, I'm saying 1900. Yeah, 1900 to there 1950. There were lots of places that were not electric, like did not have electric. So I think I think electricity and internet protocol IP are the two biggest industrial it, inventions in, of, in 1900. Of the last the, 200 years. In 1900, the average home did not have electricity. Okay. I still think it's wild we went from the Wright brothers to uh, Neil Armstrong in under 100 years. I mean, in 60. Yeah. Wright yeah, brothers kind of landing years. on the moon in, yeah. 66 in 60, years. 60 years is Yeah, that doesn't seem like a lot. It's it's a one per, it's a one you know 
reasonably unhealthy person's lifetime. <laughs> yeah, but like, what? What's the stat? Like, we're as far away from 1993 right now as 1993 is from 1969. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it, 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 you, you. We haven't come that far, baby. No, we no you think well, you think about from the 50s now. You're you're talking about like, um, you're talking about cell phones. You're talking about internet, obviously, internet and all that sort of kind of stuff. But if you're talking from 1900 to 1950, you're talking about telephones. Electricity, automobiles, television, television, radio. I, I mean, <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. I like it. I like it. Oh, I can't think. It's making my brain hurt. But yeah. Emory Place holds up and it still looks like it belongs it, there. It looks like an old town square. It is great. And every time I rode my bike through there, because I lived for three years before Crafty opened, I lived on 729 Morgan Street, the place that I recently referenced. And every time I walked or rode my bike through there or drove through there, I was like, this place should have a brewery. This place. Before I ever had the thought of doing it myself, it was like, this place, it should have nightlife, it should have a culture, it should have a community. Like, there should be something here. Why is it other not- Other than just a daytime business. Why is it not the epicenter? And it, I, it's so idyllic. It should be the burgeoning beating heart of everything I on have the an other answer. side. I, I would love to hear it. Because there's no restaurant. Really? Yeah, you need food. Food food and beer uh, is at the heart of, I think, a cultural center. And Crafty Bastard is a great business in that space. But it's it's currently surrounded by a lawyer's office, a marketing firm, a accounting firm. A salon. Print, a, a salon, a print production shop. Production company. You know, a production company and a, and a printer's. Um, all great services. Sure. Uh, two, all, two art galleries. All very much needed services, but they're not the types of places that people are going to f- visit or frequent often. I mean, most of those businesses are not visitable. I'm not going to go to that market, you know. Um, and that's not a knock on Emory Place. I think that's yeah. just why it's not. I mean, you look at Happy Holler, and that's a little cultural center, too, because there's places to eat and places to drink and places sure. to gather. Currently in Emory Place, Crafty Bastard's really the only place to gather. Yeah. So, and I would really welcome that. And there, the places across the street, um, supposedly there's a wine and tapas place going in. We're French, at French Fourth fried, and Gillside? Or? Uh, directly across from Crafty. Like if you're walking out of the oh, front yeah, door yeah. of Crafty, directly across. Oh, still in um, Emory Place. Still in yeah. Emory Place. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and Emory, the name Emory comes from Reverend Emory. Correct. Yeah. Who was the, who's accredited with introducing Knoxvillians to what we now know as Sunday school. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. It was Richard and walked across the entire state of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, went to every single county in Tennessee and uh, taught about Sunday school. Why he, he thought also it was... died in the the Taswell mm-hmm. train wreck of like nineteen whatever twenty five, and uh, that was shortly after they built the second hospital in Knoxville, and a lot of people felt that the hospital was unnecessary, and then that train wreck happened, and a lot of people were sent there, and they were like, okay. I think yeah. we do need two hospitals. Interesting. Yeah, so no. Emory Place was named after Reverend Emory. Um, also, if you go up Broadway, there's Emeryland Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also named after... Really? Uh, also named oh, after Reverend so, Emory. Okay. Yeah. I like yeah. this. It was when it was... At, I can't, yeah. I'm looking at this Jack Neely book that you have in here yeah. in front of me. So as one of my friends put it so aptly, he said, uh, Jack Neely knows more about the history of Knoxville than I know about my own. 
Wow. Um, <laughs> I mean, th- th- this guy is just, I mean, for, for, for those of you listening who, who don't know about Jack Neely, I, has he been on the podcast? No, I've reached out to him. Mm. Can't, uh, can't find him. I've interviewed him before, but not for, uh, the podcast for, uh, a, is he, would you, for the like, Tennessee theater? Who's on your short list of people you really want to be on? Is he on like, that he's list? Le- yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I mean, I've had the rest of them. I mean, the rest of them have been here. Yeah. He's there. Who else is on that list? Well, I mean, I, you know, you had to do the Scott Wests of the world and the, yeah. I wanted to talk to the mayor, talk to India. She, she came over. What about the other mayor? Uh, I really want to talk to the other mayor too. Yeah. That's, uh, that's happening. Oh, Glenn Jacobs. You got yeah. it? Yeah. Cool. I think he's, I think he's going to be over. Dude, yeah. that'd be sick. Yeah. Did you yeah. ever interview Madeline when she was in? Mm-mm. Cause that I didn't pre, start the podcast. That was pre-podcast. Until, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Just barely. Uh, who else? Ashley Caps. Yeah. But who's on the list that you want? Like, uh, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah, got to do that. Jack, Jack Neely. Jack Neely, for sure. Anybody else on the short list that you would love to see in here? Uh, Leanne Morgan? I don't know Leanne. She's a stand-up comic. She's uh, She's been around for a long time. She's she's a clean comic, which is hard to come by. Oh, she's, wow. That's, yeah, and she's- uh, That's extraordinarily she, talented. Yeah, she, I mean, she, <laughs> she tours the world, and she's from she's from here. And she's from Knoxville. That'd be yeah, cool. So that's- You want to get Johnny Knoxville in here? PJ? Yeah, for sure. That'd be so Love fun. to- yeah. <laughs> he seems like he's a little crazy these days. Yeah. I'd, right. I'd do it. I'd do it for sure. What you got? I'm just trying to get some manifest. Get I'm trying to manifest this. You want to get Hal in here? Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to text Hal for you. Get yeah. Hal in here. Yeah. yeah. I know Hal and I know Phil too, but uh, yeah. we can start swinging for the fences and get Peyton in here. <laughs> yeah. Peyton and Dolly <laughs> together. What about, have you, what about Josh Heupel? Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, right when he became coach, talked to somebody about interviewing him because nobody wanted to. And now you can't get ten minutes. Of the no, now you can't for, get ten minutes of for, yeah. for anything. I mean, Dolly, Dolly, and Peyton at the same time. Oh yeah, you could just we could burn the studio down after that. It would just. I think so. I th- yeah, I think you need to hang it up. At Welcome that point, to like the this. last <laughs> episode of South of Scruffy. This is Ben Fields. I'm joined by Dolly Parton and Peyton Manning. <laughs> so I was. Uh, what about like Bill Haslam? You know, former yeah. governor of the state of Tennessee. Yeah, lives I mean, in the- Knoxville. Yeah. Right across the street from the hub, man. I went to uh, I went to a wedding that Bill Haslam was officiating, and and walked in with Sarah and uh, my wife, and we walk in. He's like, "What's up, Sarah? How's it going?" I'm like, "I I, I forgot you guys knew each other." Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, she, uh, Bill Haslam was Sarah's basketball coach. When, when yeah, he coached my brother too. Really? Yeah, yeah. Like, and my brother was in middle school or something like that. I thought he was going to run for president. I think he was, and and hot take. I'm not trying to get into politics here. I think he was going to run for president, and when the whole rebate thing came out with his brother, oh yeah, I think that ruined he his was, chances because as soon as he ran him for up. president, you know, it was going to be oil tycoon. You know, yeah. his brother cheated all these small yeah. businesses. I mean, that's that's one of the downsides to being in a family business. Is sure when somebody in your family does something, it kind of reflects on you whether yeah. you like it or not so i was uh i was in i used to live in park ridge aaron and we i have, live there currently oh you do yeah cool. as does zach so do i oh yeah i lived at uh uh washington and uh monroe i live at monroe and glenwood perfect so you're right up the street yeah it was at the the house the like uh brown shutters like tan house on the corner right there you know the purple house yeah i'm right across monroe from that yes on the corner. dude okay yeah. i live three houses up the yeah. yellow one on the corner okay so, yeah well, when I was there, we were doing some. Uh, we had to redo the, like the 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 front 
like the treads on our porch and build some steps and stuff. And we had to go through the Metro Planning Commission and all the H1 overlay historic stuff. And when I went to Kay Graybeal's office to show her my plans for what I was going to do with my house, I looked down in the corner and there is uh, a photo in like this whole pitch deck of the church on Fifth Avenue that's right behind Crafty or yeah. right down Fifth Avenue, Crafty. And it said- Yeah, the first Christian church, yeah. Yeah, and it said- uh, the Ryman of Knoxville and yeah. had all of these like mock-ups for making that a music venue. Oh yeah. 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 Any, uh, any insight on that? Did I you have... ever hear like, that, that? I mean, this was five or six years ago when this yeah. happened. So and it obviously didn't happen. The last time that I've seen stuff in there was 2019. Big what do you years. mean stuff? Oh, music in there? Music, yeah. Okay. So, so it was a venue, um, for 2019, um, big years. So okay. March of 2019. Cool. And, um, yeah, they hadn't like, it was still like a sanctuary and they still had like, it still looked like a church kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they did have music in there. And so I thought that was kind of going to be the beginning of, you know, and that's something that I would be very, very interested How in. How badass would that be? Yeah. To ha have a music venue that close. I mean, the mill and mine's right there, but have something that close. I Dude. And the central United Methodist church if you've ever been in that sanctuary it would be an incredible music venue as well yeah yeah but you you took me in there yeah yeah i think it was the second the first time we ever hung out was in my soon to open brewery well when i say soon like nine months later and then i think the second time we ever hung out was zach took me into central united methodist and we did some where very, is that very silly things it's right uh, next to <laughs> next level and uh the press room oh and yeah it's 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 if aaron's house was 120 seconds away from the brewery yeah, Central United Methodist was sixty seconds away. So, oh, like, even thirty seconds, like yeah. thirty, like yeah. I mean, it was right there. Yeah, might have involved climbing some. Have you talked to some icy to, ladders? What about, like, <laughs> have you talked to Garrett and Kent from Born and Race Productions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, those I love those guys so much, and they would crush a music venue like that. They've been trying to do, you know, a, a small to mid size music venue for a while now, and I think, I think that is an immediate. Uh, improvement of Knoxville if they can get that going. Interesting, yeah. Huh. Agreed. And we have, so we've got like a lot, we have kind of all the different sizes of indoor venues. In Knoxville. Indoor, indoor spaces? I think so. I think we need, uh, I think we need West. Yeah. Yeah. How many, how many folks are, are, are you putting in there? And is it ticketed? Uh, we're, we're cap, it ticketed capping at 800. Wow. Okay. Do you have the stage built and all that? Yep. Okay. You we, got, you got uh, yeah, we had lined we, up. We had Smooth Sailor play and uh, sold 622 tickets last oh, year. Nice. Um, we were looking to have a concert series from April, beginning of April to the end of October, and uh, you know every two to three weeks. So we we're looking at ten to twelve dates, and uh, yeah, ticketed events. Nothing exorbitant. Five five ten bucks, mm. um, depending. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at uh, looking at booking that up right now. Actually, do you have to book that yourself, or do you have a promoter or a, a booker in house? How does that, that work? That is yield me right now. Oh, um, okay, I, I think uh, I, I think that might change in the future. I hope it does. But, yeah, um, you brew beer. Come on, you can't you can't yeah, be bothered with that shit. But for <laughs> no, I run a business. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it all, huh? Yeah, I got to do it all. So, um, but anyway, so there is. When also bring like I like I have brewers who like do an excellent job for me. Like, I mean the, a lot of the recipes, most of the recipes are like things that I've developed over the years and things like that. But like, as far as like the day to day, like grunt work and the day to day, like, 
you know, stewarding of, of these beers. That's, you know, I, there, there's amazing people who work for me who do that. In fact, mm-hmm. I was hanging out with them tonight at, um, at Alliance for the, for the Knoxville Area Brewers Association, Knoxville Area Brewers Association holiday party. So yeah, they're, they're, they're I got a bunch of great folks working so for me who do a lot of that somewhat automated it at, at least, or at least got processes um, in place to where. Yeah, I mean, not the whole business by any means, but like <laughs> some of it. All right. So if you went away tomorrow, could the business still, uh, could the business still keep going? Would they know what to do? Tomorrow, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, how long that goes, I don't know. Right. And, by the way, and that's not a knock on anybody who works for me. There's just no, like you have the vision, yeah. right? And so yeah, and there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of governmental paperwork and tax forms and and bookkeeping. It's and, also and it, like all it, that kind of and stuff. Speaking as a small business owner myself, it's also a bad business model, but. I've been trying since negative day 30 to create a business that would go on without me, and I've failed. <laughs> so it's easier said than done. The goal, the goal is unless you are an egomaniac or unless you have some severe mental illness, and if somebody does, then that – I'm sorry. I don't mean to – Yeah, I probably do. I don't mean to say <laughs> – any business owner worth their salt – wants to create a business that can run without them Mm. at least most of the time um and yeah and so that's something that i've been working at for a long time something that zach's been working at for a long time but also they have a business that they want to work in and want to be in correct it's it's it's, the it's this that you want it to be a want and not a need correct yes i want i I want to create a business that i want to work for that i want to be at but i don't need to be here Mm. um that kind of thing um we talked about uh um you know, Zach and I have talked about this before about, you know, maintaining, it's something when you work at a small business about maintaining healthy, friendly, wonderful, but like boundaries between yourself and your employees. Um, and, uh, it's just like, you know, I remember Zach said, something. it's like, it's like, I, I want, I want people that like, I want to be my friend. Right, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want, I want to, to work with my friends. I want to work with my friends, but yes, yes, yes. I want, I want to be your friend, but I won't. Ah. <laughs> and not, and when I say that, there's a big difference between that. I mean, I know that sounds shitty. I'm sorry, but no, like, it's a boundaries issue. Right? It's a boundaries issue. It's, yeah. it's, it's like that. Like, and I've had this happen before. It's like there's, a, I've had a friendly relationship with almost all of my employees, and we hang out and we have staff events and we have things like that. But I think it's important, especially as a business owner in a small business, like this is something that can really, really consume your life. Mm. And, and yeah. so it's, it's, it's important to have, to have, have really close friends who, who aren't also your employees. Mm. And, and to help make uh, it make us sound a little less like a-holes. No, I, I get it. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. I realized. No, kind it's of okay. <laughs> I think that's also, I in, in my experience, is that's also true of our team members, too. Like, they want their boss to be somebody that they would want to have a beer with, but they also don't want to have a beer with their boss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, they don't like, want to be so close that they get a text from him at 2 a.m. Like, hey, did you lock the cash register? Yeah, or- it's like, well, you know, it's, yeah. Um, and, and, and they're just, there's just, it's sometimes kind of like separating where you work and where you play is there's some benefits of that. And, and, and it's important. Another way to word this for anyone out there that likes talking about small business and Aaron, I don't, I think I've maybe said this to you before or not, but one of the really hard conversations 
it, it can be hard. And, and, and I have this with every person that we hire at the hub is I look at them and I say, in every way, shape or form, my spirit, my heart, my, my, myself wants to look at you as an equal, but we're not equals. Now, outside of the hub, we are. But when we're here at the hub, we don't have equal risk. We don't have equal reward. If the shit hits the fan, you've lost your job. If the shit hits the fan, I lose my house. I lose everything. Dude, yeah. I could not. That's exact words that were going to come out of my house. Yeah, you have to find another place to work. I have to find another place to live. Yeah. Because <laughs> the final name on every single document is me. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm going to treat you like an equal. I'm going to love you like an equal. I'm going to respect yeah. you like an equal. Everything socially. We're, yes. We're, we're, we're right here. But when, it, when, when the shit hits the fan, we're, we, I hope you know that all of the weight of that rests on my shoulders. They don't rest on your shoulders. Mm. And so uh, my, you know, what I think is best uh, holds more weight because I have more to lose. And somebody has to be able to make a call too. Yeah. Yeah. When when you're making decisions as a business. And, and that's why it's fifty one to forty nine when people own businesses together because you have you can sit here and, and talk about stuff till you're blue in the face between, you know, equal partners. But when some at some point somebody has to make a decision and that in your guys' case, that's that's well, you. And, yeah. and 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 that's a challenging thing to say in a in a and I think a conversation that requires maturity. But it's also just the the truth. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that I've that I've experienced. That's a good way. You have to find another job. I have to find somewhere. You have to find somewhere to work. I have to find somewhere to live. I have somewhere to live. Like I mean, yeah. I mean, we we I just just um, I do. Um, I'm sure Zach does. Every small business owner has a lot of debt um, and has has things that they're they're liable for and mm-hmm. things like that. And so, yeah. I mean, at, at the very and and Zach's done this a ton. I've done this a ton. I mean, the 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 very last signature on every page, every lease you sign, every loan you take out, everything like that is not the business name. It is your name. Yeah. It's like if, if there is no more Knox Brew Hub or not, no more Knox Brew Tours or no more Crafty Bastard, guess who we're coming after? Yeah. And, and the truth is... And so, and so yeah. yeah. And like, so I, I think same thing with my employees. Like it's just, it's at, at the very, very end of the day, there is a respect that is like, cool. It is, it is your ass on the line. And so you... If the, it, when push comes to shove on some of these difficult decisions, especially major decisions, I I, I respect it. So and that's that, that. I mean, I've I've always had that for my employees. I've never thought about how important that could be to have that conversation on the front end with somebody because I've worked for so many people, especially in the restaurant business and in the past growing up. Like, you're like man, this guy's going like this guy. It's going hard. This guy that owns this place, well, he is it, he's really an asshole. He's really like, <laughs> but it's because I never understood that. Or never took the frame. I never looked at it from that perspective of this is this guy's livelihood, and it yeah, it's a place for me to work and make a few hundred bucks a night. But it's the difference in whether he feeds his kids or not, or she feeds their kid, her kid or not. I yeah, mean, it's like it's, why are you taking this so seriously? This is a restaurant <laughs> job. It's like oh well, I mean, because <laughs> it is serious, and that's and that's kind of how I prefaced it uh, to my team yeah. members. Like if I ever seem extra, if I ever seem really intense about something that seems really small. It's because this is, this is my everything. Mm. I I don't, you know, I don't, I, it's not like I have a nine to five job and I, I run this bar on the side for fun. Right. Like this is, this is my end. This is my beginning. This is my past. This is my present. This is my future. 
you know, uh, when, when, if there's ever a little Ross cup running around one day, it'll be because of the work I did today sure. in this building. And so uh, it's, it's, it's intense, but I think it's important to, to communicate that to your team. And then also ask your team, what is equally as important to you? You know, we do a thing at the hub we call goal sharing where, um, every three to six months we, we talk with each other about, a personal or professional goal that working at the hub helps them accomplish. Nice. And then I share with them uh, what them working at the hub is helping me to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely need to have that conversation with my folks soon. Yeah. And well, thank God you're not like, powerful. Man, guys, I just bought this sweet boat. <laughs> and I <laughs> well, really appreciate it's a, it. It's a fucked up joke, but like, guy, guy pulls up to the business, you know, pulls up to his office in a Lamborghini and the employee says, wow, boss, man, that's a really nice Lamborghini. And the boss man looks at him and says, and if you show up to work every day on time and you work really, really hard, next year I'll be able to buy a second one. (laughs) 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 That's, I mean, there are a lot of shitty bosses that that have that mentality, you know? If you show up to work hard every day, I can get a second one. Yeah. Uh, but in 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 reality, it's not like, that way it's for not us. That way. It's <laughs> like, not that way. I tell you, it's not that way in the beer business. It's not that way in the small yeah. business, and and I think it's that's very few and far in between. Yeah, um, well, yeah, I have. Yeah, I, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I I I have never been in the entire history of our seven years the highest paid person in my company. Wow, ever? How ever. how does not that even feel? Close. How does that feel? It's fine because, like, I, I it's um that's not something I, I and, and that's a I guess a weird thing to bring up, but no, that that that's the way that it makes sense. I mean, like, I have um I have ownership of the company, you know. I mean, it's like it's it's, it's which is worth something. It's worth something, yeah. Um, and, but it's also you know it's also all on my shoulders, and you know, that, I mean, it, it kind of goes the other way too. That it's just like I can't, I can't, you know. There's been a lot of trying times of the years, COVID especially. And things like that, and I, I just I, I I can't quit. Like, yeah, I have to. There, there's there's choice. There's there's too there's too many people. There's too much history. There's too much community. There's too much debt. I mean, there's too. There's Do you ever too... want to? Ooh, God! Wow. You ever want to oh, quit? Wow. I think we'd are both we getting, be lying I, if we didn't say wow. yes at some point. Are we are are we getting deep? Um, <laughs> opening Crafty Bastard, I think, is the best decision I've ever made in my life. Um, it has been the journey of a lifetime and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. There are times where I am completely overwhelmed and I just wish I had a break Mm. and that doesn't ever come. Usually that manifests itself in, in me as thinking about when I used to work at Wendy's in high school and wanting to go back and being like, I, I could cook the best damn French fries Wendy's has ever seen. And I could show up and, and, cook fries with a smile on my face for eight and a half hours yeah. and then go home and know that it's not going to follow me. It's not going to call me. It's not going to text me. It's not yeah. going to wake me up in the middle of the night. I, I have a lot of those thoughts with, with, uh, with parenting, believe mm, it or not. I because, can see that. Because you're like, was life easier when I didn't have all, <laughs> yeah. when I didn't, but you don't have a choice yeah. other than. Yeah. And, but you also couldn't imagine it any other way. Absolutely not. So one of the here's a great definition of entrepreneurship, Aaron, that I heard. <laughs> entrepreneurship is working 80 hours a week for yourself 
so that you don't have to work 40 hours a week for somebody else. else. (laughs) 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 That's really Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's it's hard, but it's definitely rewarding. And you sort of find there's, there's pros and cons to everything. You know, there's pros to work on the Monday to Friday, nine to five and having your nights and weekends. And there's pros to being able to just say, I'm going to not work this week, you know, which, 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 which you have to work extra before and after. You have that to week. work but, extra. But I mean, so, I mean, the, the other thing too is like, you know, I mean, I, I guess a, a good side of it. Um, I remember I said to one of my, uh, to one of my employees, um, he was uh, a great, great guy. This, uh, don't, don't take this to sound snarky, but was saying, um, and uh, so it was, it was the end of the day, and uh, he was he was he was walking out, and he was like, uh, "Yeah, I'm." He's like, "Yeah, I'm leaving," and I, and I said, "I'm leaving too." <laughs> and I said with his with his smile on my face and everything else like that, and he was just like, and he was like, "What are you so excited about? Like, like I, I, you know, like you leave every day." What did he say? I can't remember what he said. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing up the joke. <laughs> but he said he said something. It was just like, why, why are you like so excited? Like, I mean, you. You walk out the door every day. That's what he said. You walk out the door every day or something like that. And I was like, yeah, but I don't ever really leave. But yeah. I rarely do I leave. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I don't ever really leave. Yeah. And I'm leaving now. And like, and so, and he was like, and he really understood what I, what I yeah. was saying. And it was just like, I feel like this, like I'm, I'm never working and I'm always working. There's not like somebody wanted to do this job shadowing thing on me. Um, he was going to the small business development center and uh and he he wanted to do an interview and it was like cool I'm, I'm kind of doing this project about in the brewing and distilling industry and um and so he sits down he has his notebook in front of me and everything and it's like cool all right let's do this interview and he was like what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> and my Sorry. response was, my response was the exact same. I laughed for like three minutes and I couldn't even catch my breath. And I was like, what the fuck do you mean? Like I, <laughs> Is there no such thing as a typical day? No, absolutely not. <laughs> the only typical day is that it's not typical. Yeah, yeah. there's just, yeah. there's just no like I go in and I do my shift. Like there's just there, the, yeah. it, that, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. Uh, the other one that makes me laugh, <laughs> and I feel so I felt so bad, man. I felt I felt like such a jerk, but I was bartending, and um, I overheard this this gentleman at the bar say, "Man, I want to start my own business." And the other guy says, oh, yeah, why is that? And he goes, I want to be my own boss. (laughs) (laughs) And I just kind of, I kind of, I chuckled out loud. Yeah. And I didn't mean to. And he looked over at me and he says, you know, says, why are you laughing? And I said, dude, I, if the only motivation that you have is to start your own business is because you want to be your own boss, you're in for a rude awakening. Hmm. And he says, why do you say that? I said, no, let me be clear. I don't have a supervisor. I don't have necessarily somebody that I have to prove my value to or prove my work to or answer to or or whatever. But if you define boss 
as someone or something that controls or demands uh, how you spend your time. I have more bosses in my life right now than I have ever had. Yeah. My team are my bosses. Sure. My customers are my bosses. My KUB bill is a boss. My alarm system is a boss. My, you know, the list goes on. When the when the food deli- gets delivered, the, the food delivery guy is a boss. The keg, the yeah. beer delivery guy is a boss. You still report to somebody. You yeah. know, there is, uh, and, and again, not complaining. I, I am the, feel like, and I can give you a thousand examples of why I feel like I'm the luckiest person on this planet. And I'm very lucky and very blessed. I feel very fulfilled. And I know Aaron and I have gone a little bit on a on a bitch fest here, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's not too bad. Um, and we can uh, we can take a pee break and change subjects whenever. But um, but I, I would like to encourage someone. There has to be a burning, passionate desire uh, to 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 take the path. That I think Aaron and I have both taken, and if and if it's just that you want to be your own boss, um, that's not going to do it. It's not going to. Now, the the reason why we have had businesses that have lasted as long as they have, um, and been as successful as they have, um, is that Zach has a passion for Knoxville, for Knoxville beer, for this community um, that I've very rarely, if ever, seen paralleled. In any way, um, and you know, I don't want to talk about myself, but like, I mean, I I'm absolutely obsessed with making interesting beer. It is it is my hobby. It's my profession. It's my life. To, it's I'm so passionate about it, and you're so passionate about it to the point that we'll do it to our own detriment, <laughs> and not necessarily for even for profit. But isn't that how yeah. you know you're doing the right thing? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That we don't measure. Our, I won't speak for us, I guess. I don't measure my success on whether uh, I have this much money in my bank account or not. I measure my success on am I still able to do it? Hmm. Am I still able to guide in tours and create tour experiences? Am I still able to create a community space for people to enjoy each other? That's the measure. That's the unit of success. That's hmm. what's keeping me going is, is that I can yeah. that I'm still getting to do those. So things. if the lights are still on, you're succeeding. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so so same thing. Like I mean, like I'm I made like I made more money when I was a, a high school math teacher than I do now. But I don't give a fuck about that, to be perfectly honest with you. I have I have everything I need and most of what I want. Uh, somebody told me a long time ago that if you have your basic needs met, you're not living paycheck to paycheck, that happiness is not about money. It is about finding fulfillment in life. It is yep. about friendships. It is about connection. It is about feeling valued. Um, and so... All of those things that you can talk about that like gives somebody value in life makes them feel like a person. I have in spades, hmm. so I consider myself incredibly lucky. I couldn't agree more. You want to pee? I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do have some hard hitters, you know? Let's go. Yeah, let's, let's do some hard hitters. Hard I know hitter. we got all on the. Uh... We went a little bit on a small <sighs> business owner tangent. Oh, that's yeah. all right. Fallen beer, Tennessee lager. Yeah, but right. we ended on a high net though. So, so, uh, so why are good pilsners so hard to find? <laughs> craft, craft beer wise, there's a lot more IPAs out there than there are pilsners. I understand they're harder to brew, take a longer time to brew. 
I think I think the true answer is market demand. Their their IPAs are still heavily more demanded than Pilsners. Really? Yeah. So even at our west location, where we have um, a more less adventurous crowd, I guess would be sure. uh, the That's way I, I would diplomatic. put it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Less adventurous crowd at our west location. Our number one selling beer is our crispy boy lager. And, uh, but our number one selling category is by far IPAs. Really? Um, yeah. So we have number one selling beer at the hub is our hub lager, mm -hmm. but we have four IPA taps and we sell more IPAs collectively than anything yeah. else. Our, yeah. Our number one selling beer is our, um, again, our, our light lager. Um, at the West location, and two, three, four, and five are all IPAs. Um, IPA is by far the number one selling category. Um, yeah, so that's okay. So when you talk about market demand, the other thing too, let me defend IPAs for a minute. Okay. Um, this is a weird thing. I, it, several years ago, I never would have thought to try and defend IPAs because it's just <laughs> the, you know, it's like, it's just the ubiquitous thing. It's what American craft beer is. And now there's been this whole like kind of like lager trend, which I, I'm, I'm really glad to see. Um, I like uh, lagers of all different kinds. Um, but the thing about IPAs that are amazing is, is there has been a hot breeding program in the United States, Citra, Mosaic, Azaka, all of these things. There's some really good New Zealand and, and Australian hops, but like if you go to a craft brewery anywhere in the world and they are popping up all over in Germany, in the Czech Republic, in UK, in Africa, in, 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 in certain different places in Africa, in Kenya, in Ghana, I'm consulting with somebody right now who's opening a craft brewery in Kenya. Um, there's been a huge craft brewing scene in Japan, in China and uh, all across the world. Guess what? Every fucking one of those places makes IPAs. Yes, yeah. because it is, we, I, IPAs are not a trend. They are a thing that is here to stay. We have, as American brewers, pushed the envelope more than any other. Especially um, with ingredients and how we use them and combine them. Correct. We have pushed the envelope more than any other country in the world. It is being mimicked across the entire world. Everybody wants American hops. Everybody wants to brew American style IPAs. And the thing about IPAs, that makes them so ubiquitous is that when well done, explosive flavor, but still crushable. Mm. And I want to I want to add to that. Yes, go ahead. The the other thing too, and and Aaron, I know you're going to agree with me. At least I think you will. Is when someone says, "I have a pilsner," I know what they mean. Mm. But when someone says, "I have an IPA," I don't know what they mean. Because I have to now say, what kind of IPA? One of the things that makes IPA so popular is its diversity in flavor. Yes. All right. Are we talking about a hazy IPA? Are we talking about a West Coast IPA? Are we talking about somewhere in the middle? Um, I would, for the most part, Aaron might just feel differently, but I would, for the most part, break all IPAs down into three categories, which is all the way over here in the hazy, all over here in the West Coast, and somewhere in the middle. But- that's just a, a, a dumbed-down version of that. But that's part of the reason they're so popular and part of the reason it's a complicated answer is because we have four IPAs on at the hub, but all four of them are completely different, where if I had four Pilsners on, they'd be much more similar. Right. So I think a lot of people 
no IPA is like the leader of the craft beer boon or the leader of the home brew boon. Mm -hmm. It seems to be the thing that everybody mm -hmm. made and kind of became the flagship beer of almost the, it, it became the flagship type of beer for craft brewing. I mm -hmm. feel like, but where did the India pale ale come from and why is it? Some people don't know that. Well, and there, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, story. It's a confusing it's a confusing story because from my research, there's not a definitively clear answer. Now, um, the the most popular version of the historical facts, and and there's definitely some truth in this. England uh, had a colony in India. They wanted the beer to get shipped to their soldiers there. They discovered that hops, natural preservative, allowed beer to stay fresher longer overhopped the traditional English pale ale to make the trip, uh, and, and it was less likely for that beer to spoil. And and that's the story that most people have heard and most people have... I thought that was Bible. I thought that I mean, was that is, it, it, the reason... There is definitely the some exists. historical accuracy to that story. Okay. However, there is also uh, a level of in people who believe that uh, there was a batch of beer that maybe wasn't selling as well, and there was a patriotic element, drink what the troops are drinking in India sort of a little bit of a, a marketing effort. But what we know as, and what we consume as an American IPA, is nothing like the beer that was made at that time period in that country, at, at that place. It might have been slightly more hopped than other beers, but not nearly like what we think of today. The, uh, the, the amount of alpha acid, the amount of essential oils, mercerine, um, linalool, things like that, um, the American hops that we have today are just light years. I mean, 10, 20 fold more aggressive, um, not just in bitterness, but like it, in just in terms of overall explosive flavor and aroma than, than old world varieties that they had in England and, you know, Germany and the Czech Republic at the time. So um, I guess Czechoslovakia at the time. It, and then so, and, and the very last thing I was going to say about that too is, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very much like, it's very much like weed. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like it's weed, just, it is a like, cannabis. Like weed. I mean, it's, it's in the cannabis family. And so like, I mean, you're really comparing these, uh, The it would be the difference between the dirt weed that you smoked in high school versus these laboratory engineered strains that you're getting in Colorado. Okay. Like, I mean, that is the difference between old world continental hops versus what, what like citron mosaic and things like that but it doing. was it was used as a preservative yeah right yes, it, it, hops gave beer the ability to travel yeah hop beer in every way shape or form was a home product made for the village uh for thousands of years when hops was introduced into beer it became a business it became a product that could, you could sell because it now be had the ability to travel and this is obviously pre uh, invention of refrigeration, right? And other, and other techniques we now know that can preserve things longer. But there is no doubt that India IPA, India Pale Ale, is inspired by the efforts to get beer to travel from England to India. And they were like, oh, this tastes good. Let's try a little bit more. Or let's try or, a little bit different. Or they were like, this the stuff works. It's getting me drunk. And then they got back to England and said, where's that hoppy stuff you've been sending us? Well, yeah. And then the one thing that Zach left, left out in it is, is it, there's two main preservatives of beer, right? Hops and That's true. alcohol. 
Right. And mm. so generally these these beers were brewed to be like higher alcohol content mm. as well. So people liked where, it more because of that. Yeah, and which is where the uh the where the stout. Um Russian Imperial Stout. Russian Imperial Stout is typically higher in alcohol because it needed to travel a longer distance to get to the Tsar of Russia at that time. And and that was more so it wouldn't freeze. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but also so it could survive the journey, yeah. Be- there's so much fascinating beer history uh, and the impact it's had on the world is is un- is unbelievable but uh it doesn't seem like hoppy beers are going away they're not to me. no they're not no i love drinking lagers and you know having stuff that i can uh have a few of and or have a couple of and it not knock me down uh but it seems like people are okay with something that's a little crunchier a little mm-hmm. heavier a little uh you can enjoy a little bit more, like you would a meal. Yeah. Now there, there, there are not there are sort of uh, beer fads, um, and fads not the right word. I would say there's. I thought IPAs were going to be a beer fad. No, no, I think they're, I, they're here to stay. They, they, they've been a, they've been a, a quintessential part of American craft beer culture for forty years, and will continue to be. Yeah. The there are trends though. We do see certain within things. within IPA. Yes. Yeah. One of the things this this is my bold. I think. I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Aaron, but I have a bold prediction for 2023. I think the next year we're going to see an increase in what I'm calling the classic uh, craft beer styles of 2014. I think we're going to start seeing some more ambers and reds. I think we're going to start seeing some more pale ales, some more brown ales, some more um, of their gateway beers, if you will, because... I just I think people are kind of getting back to to the 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 flavors that brought them into this community in the first place. I mean, my my thing right now, what I've seen for a couple of years, and I think I think the thing that's been exploding for the last couple of years, and then into it, is loggers. Um, and that's where it's going to start. Yep. And so, um, yeah. So seeing Hellas Lager, I mean, we're drinking Huggins Hellas from Albright Grove right now. Um, yes, Hellas Lagers, uh, Pilsners, and but even beyond that, uh, Schwarzbeers, um, uh, Vienna style lagers, dark thing, check pills, dark check pills, a Schwarzbeer thing like things like that. I mean, like when I was talking about like our experimental brewery downtown. I mean, yeah, we're doing completely off the wall shit, but we're also doing very traditional lagers too. Do you guys find and yourself so, doing the same experimental stuff as other? craft nanobreweries are doing too or is everybody kind of kind of doing some prognosticating in different everybody's areas? got a different uh culture and and vision for how you know brewing beer in, in a different lane but i think uh in knoxville crafty's definitely got the the let's let's see how far we can push this lane yeah so we've we've done um <laughs> yeah i mean i mean the, the you know chanterelle mushroom beer chanterelle mushroom beer i, I was gonna say without getting too you know, when you first asked that question, I wanted to be like, no fucking way. Like, <laughs> we do our own shit. But like, I mean, like, yeah, no, I mean, we, we've, the thing that we specialize and we've done our fruited milkshake, whatnot, and pastry stout this and, and pumpkin beer and all this other kind of stuff. Um, which again, we, we do to the absolute best of our ability. I think we made some really good examples of those styles. But the thing that I really, really dig is, again, we've done beers with chanterelle mushrooms, prickly pears, um, pawpaws. We made a pizza beer. Muscadines. Let's not talk about that one. Um, <laughs> I just said pizza beer. It's a- and et cetera, et cetera. And so like what we've done a lot is um, we are very proud to make locally foraged beers. Um, we have made, hands down by far the most beers like of stuff that was not bought in the store. 
stuff that I went and found out in the woods or regular customers brought us and stuff like that. And we weren't using it just to use it. It is, we, we take very, very careful trials and, um, it is, it is well integrated into a base style and makes a, a cohesive harmonious taste instead of just like, let's, let's, let's fuck this beer with the stuff we found in the woods. It's, it's something that, we want to integrate into the beer and we've made a lot of really, really excellent examples of, of that kind of stuff. I want to speak to, to the power of why I think crafty bastard does this Two two things to, to get experimental when it comes to beer. One is it has to be in a business sense, a lower risk. And what I mean by that is you're a lot more inclined to make a chanterelle mushroom beer. If you're making six kegs worth, Versus if you have a 30 barrel brew house yeah. and you're making 60, 60 kegs worth. Yeah. So one so of the, the freedom things, to experiment at a relatively low risk. Correct. The second thing though, is that you need an audience mm-hmm. that wants to drink it. So not every three barrel brew house is going to make a central mushroom beer because they may not have the confidence that they'll have the clientele that will embrace it. Mm. You've done a great job, Aaron, at Crafty of, creating a or collecting and creating a space for the kinds of people who see chanterelle mushroom beer on the on the board and they're like and want to order it yeah yeah and want to yeah. order it. but it's see, see okay so but every benefit comes with a cost right and so like one thing that uh happened for the longest time we've got okay this this is a great story it's a great story <laughs> i can t- i can tell it in probably 30 seconds but so what zach has Take on right time at, has on right now at uh, at knox brew hub is uh, House Mountain Porter. Yes. And so that is a beer that I was brewing at home um, many, many, many years ago. I brewed batches of it at home. And it is still the base of our Mayan chocolate chili porter and our Samoa... The Katrina? Yeah, chocolate. Yeah, that's that's the Imperial Milk style. But, but anyway, so it is, it's kind of our base porter that we do a lot of interesting things with. And at our West location, we tap it as the House Mountain Porter and it's great. We have tried to tap that numerous times at our downtown location, and it does not sell. Hmm. It does not sell. It does not, not adventurous sell. enough for people. What it's is it? Too classic. Uh, yeah, and so it, it, yeah, and so we've made this niche for ourselves where we have really experimental, interesting things, and certain classic styles. Unless we stick with them forever, Knox Pride is it is is a is um an exception because that's something we have on that does help but i remember and and i I know there's at least a couple of listeners of this podcast who will recognize this name uh steve dupree um was in uh was in crafty one time and uh long time just revered um knoxville craft beer aficionado and he comes in and uh so i give him a little bit of the house mountain porter because he was drinking something else at the time and he tries and he goes well aaron this is uh it's a very good beer and i said uh i said steve well you know why why don't you order it and he goes well aaron it's um it's a perfectly fine porter but uh, i can get a perfectly fine porter anywhere that's not why i come here and so it was kind of, I feel like a lot of other breweries have this sense of, uh, man, I wish we could do more interesting shit, but people won't buy it. 
and we have kind we kind of have the exact but those are the people that darken your door are people <laughs> we, who want to try we, the experimental shit we have kind of the exact opposite thing and so it's actually harder for us to sell well, class interesting styles. that you have the dichotomy of the two separate locations where you have one thing happening downtown where you have an experimental crowd who wants to come in and try you know wonderkind Aaron's uh uh new <laughs> new new experimental beers and then the people who wants the old standby uh out it, west i think it's all about um it's all about where that person is at in their beer journey and um i'm speaking in very very large generalizations here but downtown i think the the average beer consumer is further along in that journey than the average beer consumer in in West Knoxville. Might and, be a more social thing out west, somewhere where you yeah, meet a buddy sure. for for a beer that you that you know maybe a guy that you work with and you don't hang out yeah. with that often and you know you and both that's want not a something. knock on West Knoxvilleans. I and, think it's about exposure and yeah. we haven't had as many breweries in West Knoxville. As and and, and that's not a, not a knock on it as well. And like so, some people might think right. That like if they're if they're asking about oh West Knoxville you must you must sell nothing but light loggers and like your 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 fruity <coughs> pardon the term girly like fruit sour thing right no I mean we sell a ridiculous amount of IPA at in West Knoxville like a ridiculous amount it is still by far in a way our number one selling category by far I mean three times more than any other category we have. Um, but it's just it's just the ultra it's it's the chanterelle mushroom stuff it's the prickly pear it's the it's the extra weird stuff that, all right there's more hipsters that, downtown than there are out yeah, west that's yeah. what that's what <laughs> that's, that, that's kind of what i'm shooting at right there i didn't say it you said it not me just wait till <laughs> us downtown hipsters start having kids and we'll all move out west so. yeah get in the good school district yeah uh we've been here a minute what did we miss? <laughs> Come on, we had to miss something. Aaron, is there anything? Is, is there anything that uh, that that we didn't hit on that you wanted to talk well, about? There specifically? is there is one thing I wanted to mention, and and that is, uh, and we don't really have to dive into it, but we, uh, I know you've had a lot of musicians on your show, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I kind of when 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 you asked me to come back tonight, I, one of the reasons I invited Aaron is because, you know, you you use the word a lot artist yeah. when you describe a musician. And uh, I, Aaron and I have played music together before, and, and we, we like playing music. But I wanted to kind of dive into a little bit of, like, the art of making beer because yeah. I know it's something Aaron's super passionate about, and I would consider him a most brewers to be artists. What's fascinating is every art that's created, whether it's paint, music, beer, is consumed in one way or another. Sometimes it's consumed with our eyes. Sometimes it's consumed with our ears. Sometimes we literally consume it. Ingest it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's no different with food, of course. And uh, one of the things I love about our community and love about Aaron's passion is, and maybe you can speak to it, Aaron, but the, the expression that you can, that you can give with, with creating beer and then to see someone, to see it have such a positive impact on somebody and for them to 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 see and, and experience that art and have such a positive impact, I know it's just super rewarding. And so, yeah, I just think uh, I, I want to. I just want. I would love for more people to look at brewers as artists. And my hope with Knox Brew Tours is that when you take a tour and you learn about the ingredients and you learn about the process, 
you then develop a greater appreciation for the art. Well, if I might, I, I, I told Aaron before we got started that the first time I recognized him, noticed him, saw his face, uh, was at Elkmont right after they opened. And there was this, uh, there was a fire outside. It was raining. And there's some guy out there in shorts and flip flops and he's talking (laughs) to somebody and he's just like rattling off a beer recipe and writing it down in his journal. And, and and they're talking back and forth, Aaron and this, uh, and this other person, I don't know who it was at the time. And they were talking, it was like they were writing a song. (laughs) Honestly, or 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 doing some. Remember who it was? Was it Alex or Chris? Alex Violet or Chris Meadows? Probably Alex Violet would be my yeah. guess. But I I don't think I had ever at the time, first off, witnessed anybody talking about beer in the nuanced fashion that Aaron was talking about it. He's talking about ingredients and the effects that each one of them had, and talking about different acids and all kinds of shit that I had never heard of in my <laughs> life. And it was it was honestly, and I'm not I'm not bullshitting you. This was. The first time that I really think I realized that it was more than just throwing some ingredients in a barrel and pressing go. One of my favorite quotes of all time is beer is humble, but it is not simple. Mm. Hmm. Take it. It it wasn't it wasn't simple the way Aaron was talking about it. But he was he was fired up too. He was fired up. It, yeah. it wasn't all, all of these things track. This very much sounds like me. I, I don't remember this specific moment, but yeah, it definitely sounds like me. It was you for sure. <laughs> Nobody else wears flip flops in that weather, dog. <laughs> oh man, Aaron, if you ever want to get away with murder, put shoes on. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> When you did the if last... Someone's describing it to the cops. No way that was him. He you, had shoes on. You did a pachacucha, and I did one the same night. Uh, That's right. I remember that. And uh, and one of the first things was like, what's different about me? And somebody was like, you're wearing pants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not shorts. Yeah, I remember. That was my opening joke of that. And so... Um, and again, yeah, for listeners who you know aren't familiar, pachacucha is a really cool thing. You get... Um, 20 slides, 20 seconds per slide. It's a really interesting thing where you, um, a lot of innovators and, and creators in Knoxville will get up and talk. Uh, it's been at the mill and mine for the last few years. Great experience. Check it out if you ever get a chance. But um, anyway, yeah, so so I so I got up there and that was my initial joke because it's like, I need to start with a joke, right? Brevity like, and levity, yeah, baby. Yeah, I, yeah, you gotta yeah, get yeah a- brevity and levity. Yeah, you gotta yeah. kind of like, kind of open it up and stuff like that, you know? And uh, I said, uh, for those of you who know me, I forget exactly the way I started, but I think it was like, for those of you who know me, um, you'll be surprised by this. And like, I thought, you know, I, I was going to kind of, kind of lead into yeah. like what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, and then some lady in the, in this crowd yells, you wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> and she stole my joke. Cause that's what. I yeah. Like. <laughs> I was like, is he usually naked for this shit? Like, that's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't know what she was talking about. <laughs> I wear, I was wearing a pair of black slacks and uh yeah i i again um for 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 those of you listening i i don't ever 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 wear long pants like that is just uh i i don't i i don't do that why um, not my legs just don't get cold ever really uh under any circumstances yeah you got a couple of layers on your core right now and staying pretty warm um, yeah i mean you're... if it if it is if it is 58 degrees i will be wearing four layers on my core and a the thickest toboggan that i own 
um, and shorts and flip flops. Yeah. Um, and if it is twenty eight degrees, I will be wearing eight layers <laughs> on my di- and 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 like I would, I would just be completely. I will look like a yeti um, and shorts and flip flops. My my my, just, my lower body just does not get cold. I, I I'm a very avid cyclist. I ride hundred plus miles a week. I I guess maybe I just have really good blood flow circulation. I don't know what it is, but yeah, my you're my, blessed. My my lower body has never gotten cold ever. Ever. Well, I keep touching my lower body to see if it's still here. Because <laughs> I can't feel it. No. <laughs> uh, Zach, your point is well taken. I mean, I, I do feel like there's an, there's an art, artisanal yeah. level to it. And it may be because of the way we take up this stuff. We take it up for such maybe selfish reasons. We sit down and drink beer with our friends because we want the social interaction or because we like the way that it makes us feel. And maybe we don't take the time to realize that this is someone's expression. Well, and, and so back to, to my analogy to kind of, to wrap it up, like I don't know as much about art as I wish I did. When I go to an art museum and I'm looking at an art piece, I don't know the significance of using canvas versus paper versus whatever. Right. Or oil versus well, acrylic. Versus I don't know. Watercolor the, versus, yeah. I don't know the significance of that, but if I did, then I could not only just observe the art, but also sympathize with the decisions that that artist made w- when creating it. And the and more not be so judgmental. So, like maybe <laughs> even if you don't like a beer, yeah, you understand why they you made would that know decision. Why you didn't like that beer? Yeah. You wouldn't, you know. And so, the more you understand the relationship between malts, hops, and yeast, and the variations of how you can can. The, the raw the ingredients, the variations of how you, you can use those ingredients, then the, when you take a sip of that beer, you, you, it gives you an opportunity to, to re-experience or to taste the, the literal decisions that the person that made it went through as they were brewing it. And I think that's really special. I think that's an opportunity that uh, you can only get through through understanding the, the, the ingredients better and the process better. Well, and if, if Aaron's the, the artist, then, you know, you are the gallery. You <laughs> sure, know? I'll and take the, that. And the, the, I will take that. The art dealer. <laughs> yeah, I will totally, totally take that. You know, something that Aaron opened my eyes to a little bit was the, um, the art in winemaking <laughs> isn't necessarily making the wine. It's more... Um, the agriculture, the the growing, the ah. all the things that lead up to that point. Where in beer, it's sort of the opposite. It starts with the ingredient. It's it's you know yeah. yeah. I've always said if you're into uh, if you're into gardening, um, you should get into winemaking. If you're into mm. cooking, you should get into brewing. Ah. Um, and so yeah, the, I think the idea of a winemaker, it, for the most part, um, is to stay the hell out of the way. Um, it is you know, the, 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 the vineyard manager, um, the, the enologist, um, who, who did all the work to, to produce these grapes, um, has produced them in such a way that is, is consistent with the terroir of that season, of that climate or whatever. Maybe you need to do certain tweaks, um, based on how that year went and how that growing season went. But basically your job as a winemaker for the most part is to stay the hell out of the way. Um, and vinify what was produced in the vineyard. Um, if you give the same grapes to 10 winemakers or vintners, if they know what they're doing, they're probably going to produce 10 fairly similar wines. Hmm. If you give the exact same ingredients to 10 brewers, they could produce 
10 completely different beers. The difference between a Blondale and a Saison and a Hellas is basically just a choice of yeast. Hmm. Everything else is exactly the same. You 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 can make a ton of stuff. So like it's like it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Da, da, da. If you like that, then brewing is your is your artistic can't. It's your is your medium. Yeah. Um, if you like expressing what the land has given you, then vinifying making wine is 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 a better artistic medium for you. I think the the very interesting thing, and this is one that I could kind of. Because no, we, we don't want to go on forever. But a thing that that I could kind of tie this with. I mean, I think the reason that I found brewing and brewing found me, um, and why it kind of led to what it has is very simple. It is um, I've always had a little bit of a right and left brain. I've always been a little science and 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 mathematics inspired. And I've always been a little artistic and. Uh, and, and have a lot of a lot of music inspiration and things that I've done. And uh, the great thing about beer is that it is a scientific project. Times, temperatures, pHs, mm-hmm. chemistries, ratios. Scientific project whose goal is not science. Mm. Its goal is a tasty brew. <laughs> it is trying to create something uh, to be experienced Interesting. by the senses. It is it is a scientific goal with a sensory project. That's a right-left brain marriage right there. Yes, correct. Yeah. Love that. That's yeah. a great, 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 great way to sum it up. Guys, it's been a hell of a time. Yeah, thank you cheers. so much. Cheers. Thanks for doing it. Aaron, glad to finally... Oh, cheers! Eh, oh. Eh. I'm glad to finally meet you and... Uh, and get to do this. I've been waiting on it to happen for a long time, and it was a surprise when uh, when Zach told me that he was going to bring you over. So thanks for with an hour's me. notice. Yeah, I love it. He always surprises me, and this is uh, <laughs> maybe well. The best you have me back, Ben. I've got uh, I got another person lined up. I uh, think you'd be have a good just time. Bring with. Aaron back again, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Thank you both very much. Thank you. I Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course. Thanks for being here, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Hope the holiday season is treating you well. Go to our website, southscruffy.com. Click on the merch tab. If you want to buy that special someone, some South Scruffy merch for the holidays. Thanks to the Patreon crowd who uh, helps keep the lights on around here. We appreciate it. Y'all be good. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire. Play me out.